You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the double-edged double bill. This week, Hellboy and his golden army make the crow say a wicked prayer. Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas Mariani, and uh, you can just find me in the troll market just uh, shopping for memes. And I am Adam Thomas, and this is a... This is something weird. This is a weird show. I'm sorry, that's not current enough. This is a really big show. We got a really big show today. I'm doing bad talk show hosts. All the kids on TikTok <laughs> love Ed Sullivan references. It's they so... Like... <laughs> I mean, I could keep going, folks. Man of uh, zero voices. Yes, for sure. And, uh, you know, it's a big show for a lot of reasons, Adam. One of which is we have a guest who we've wanted to get on for a bit. He's uh, the host of another great ESO Network show, the Earth Station One podcast. It is Mr. Mike Gordon. Mike, welcome to the show. Howdy! I don't get a chance to get to this part of the station very often, so I appreciate the invite. Yeah, but you're actually the first guest from an ESO Network show we've had on. Well, with as, with as much trouble as we've had, uh, I, I can understand why. That's true. This is a, a long time in the making. We've tried to get you on at least two other episodes. The third time. Finally the charm. We got you on. I'm going to pull a save and probably ride with Mike and be like, you know, earn this. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's more than earned it. And, uh, you know, it's not just a special occasion because Mike's here. But, uh, Adam, it's a very special moment for at least the two of us here. Don't feel like a third wheel Mike on this, but it's our third anniversary. We have been doing this show now for three years. Roughly to the day. I, I Congratulations. Just, thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, I don't know if I'm better for it. It, it might have uh, contributed to my drinking. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, it's insane, Thomas. I mean, it's insane. You and I have spoken to each other at least once a week for three years just in this show. It's, it's pretty intense. It's pretty crazy. And uh, we're not going to make it to four, though, because I will oh. kill you. Oh, well, I, you know, I'll just keep coming back. I'll be like the crow. I'll just come back and seek my vengeance against you with really bad Sharpie makeup. As long as you're not Edward Furlong in those iterations. No. Oh, I'll be all right, I think. No, hopefully, hopefully not. Speaking to what we're uh, referencing here, in the last few uh, anniversary shows we've done, even our first episode was about Marvel films. Then we did MCU for our first anniversary. Then we did graphic novel adaptations for our second. So for our third, we wanted to keep it to the comic books of it all, and we're doing a non-Marvel and non-DC comics adaptations, which we've done previously, uh, but we'd like to do, especially considering a lot of the sort of geeky sphere likes to talk about more of the Marvel and DC side of things. I know, Mike, I'm sure you're well aware of that trodden territory. Yeah, I'm a big fan of all things comic-related, and especially my heart goes uh, is with independent comic books out there. You know, having published independent comics myself, uh, man, these guys uh, work their asses off, you know, when they get to make movies like this, 
even if it's like turns out like you know some of these uh, efforts, um, it's still an amazing feat in and of itself to see them on the screen like that. Yeah, and uh, what would you say sort of makes some of these ones that are adapted not from like the big two heavy hitters sort of distinctive, especially like the movie adaptations? What do you think you get out of some of these less traditional comic book movies that you don't get in the bigger franchises? Generally speaking, they're usually done by at least the first movies of the franchises, we'll say, are usually done as as passion projects because uh, they're not, you know, in it for the money. Now, uh, there is that, you know, I think the with the Hellboy franchise in particular, I think Sony was of the impression that, hey, we made this movie about Spider-Man that was based on a comic. It did really well. Hey, we've got this comic here, licensed Hellboy. Let's make a movie about that. That's going to do as well as, as that is. Um, but they don't understand that Hellboy doesn't sell as many comics as Spider-Man does. So therefore, that can translate to the, the movie screen as well. So the box office-wise probably, probably won't always be there. But you'll find that uh, with a lot of these films based on independent comics, I think you'll find that most of them are done by people who are really passionate about the the, the subject material. That's true, yeah, because, I mean, especially considering in the 90s and 2000s in particular, that 20-year stretch, you got a lot of different comic book adaptations, more because Superman and Batman were successful, so they're like, oh, crap, let's adapt a bunch of things that we can, whatever cheaper license we can get, and then only increase by the time we got to, like, post, especially, as you mentioned, uh, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man and, like, the X-Men movie stuff like that. It's like, oh, crap, we really got to, like, get whatever license we can possibly do. And usually it's a thing of, like, I agree, it's either a big passion project for the director or it's the other thing of just, like, uh, this has a name, so we'll just kind of do something with it. Um, I think we have an example of both of those tonight. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's that's fair. That's fair. That's the, that's putting it mildly. And the other thing too is, which I've noticed because it's also my bread and butter. I'm a very big comic book guy too, as as any listeners of the shows have known. Films that are well done based on independent comic work. If you notice, they don't really follow the formulaic that the big MCU or DCU movies do. They take a lot more risk and a lot more chances, and yet still, in a weird way, they're still very much more closely beholden to the source material because not a lot of people know these stories so they can tell them accurately and it's still new to the audience and i you know when they're done well to me they're some of them are even better than the mainstream ones we get yes let's go ahead and uh, get into our two movies which if you're new to the show every week adam and i pick uh two movies randomly you know the based on the general topic that we're doing i had the two good picks adam had his two bad picks we picked number between one and ten that we designed you know for each of these two movies that we had and we ended up with my good pick of hellboy to the golden army and adam's bad pick of the crow wicked prayer uh which will be We'll get into both of those here. So let's go ahead and start with Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. I have a suspect. The Royal Zeo. I have returned from exile to wage war against humankind. I will call upon the help of all the children of the earth. The good. The bad. And the worst. Are we going to talk all night because I'm really sleepy? Crap. Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. Good never looked so bad. I know, I'm a good. So uh, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army is obviously the second film 
in uh, the Hellboy franchise, and uh, was written and directed by Guillermo del Toro, based on the series by Mike Magnolia, who, this was published by Dark Horse, right? If I'm correct, the comics? Yes. Right, so before we even get into this sequel, we should definitely talk about the original movie, but also the comics, I guess. Uh, Mike, are you a fan of the comics in the original movie? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Big time uh, Mike Magnola fan. And I was there. I bought that first issue of Hellboy when it came out. And I was also there for the first movie. Um, I, I love the first movie a lot because Del Toro worked closely with with Magnola to make sure that that vision was was, was faithful. And uh, Adam, would you also say you're a fan? Oh, absolutely. And and I love the Hellboy comics and everything, but I'm also a big fan of Mike Magnolia. I mean, his work on you know, everything from Spider-Man to where he did a run on Savage Dragon for a second after Eric Larson. And I mean, he's done, he's an amazing creator. And um, I, I love the Hellboy universe. I love the rich sort of characters behind it and how silly it, it lets itself be while still being horror-tinged comic. It, it's just, it's fantastic. And you would say the same of the original film that Del Toro did? Uh, well, uh, I liked it when I first saw it. I, I liked it quite a bit. I, I still like it. I think the sequel that we're about to talk about is a better film. I love Steampunk Nazi in the first hell in the first album. <laughs> it's great. And I really do like uh and I can never remember his name, but he was the you know, the Russian guy and everything. Um who played Raspio, and I think he's fantastic, too. Uh, I haven't read much of the source material myself, but with the first movie, I, I've i always gone back to it, and I want to like it more than I do, because I think aesthetically it fits so much of what I like. It's like, oh, it's alternative history, and we're dealing with demons, some horror stuff, some superhero stuff, like we're mentioning. And I feel like that's the one where Del Toro had done a few like American bigger-budget movies in his Spanish films, like with uh, Mimic, and even Blade Two, obviously another comic book adaptation. But that feels the most like him kind of working within a studio with Hellboy because it feels like kind of his weirdness is a bit tampered down I think visually it's a bit more stale and also there's some clear things like he probably didn't want to do like the the Rupert Evans character in particular is such a dumb choice for that movie it's just like he's just this walking audience surrogate where it's just like we don't the red guy wants to be with Selma Blair I don't care about this other dude who's in the middle of this um but I want to say, I completely agree with, I. not only do I think Hellboy 2 was the better movie, which I even thought the first time I saw it, but with each watch, I kind of have grown to love this movie, and I would argue it's his best English language movie. Hmm. Wow, that's a bold statement. Yeah, I mean, I like a lot, of, like, I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of his movies, but I think in terms of his English language works, I think this one has the most distinctive elements of, like, what works about Del Toro to me, where it has the amazing creature design. And it has the big giant spectacle of some of his, like, you know, Pacific Rim and stuff like that. But also, I think it has the most rich character work in, like, his bigger budget American movies. Where, like, no offense to, you know, Pacific Rim, uh, you know, Pentecost obviously wanted to cancel the apocalypse, and he did. But at the same time, I still don't feel nearly as invested in those characters as weirdly I do in Hellboy 2. I genuinely love the way that they really ramp up all these characters, even down to, like, Abe Sapien, who is much more of, like, a side-side character in the first movie. They give him so much more, like, rich, fun character stuff to do in this movie that I just, I, I personally love. I would honestly say it's even also, like, it's the best Men in Black movie post the first Men in Black movie, because most of those people mm. suck anyway. <laughs> um, I, I, I really love this one myself. Well, let's lay it down, I mean, real fast. We got 
Mimic, Blade 2, uh, Hellboy 1 and 2, Crimson Peak, and Pacific Rim. Well, you are missing um, uh, Shape of Water. Yes. Um, which I think is my favorite, personally, of his. But it has ties to Hellboy as well. Yes. Because Shape of Water is is really an, an, an Abe Sapien movie. Are you saying a movie where Doug Jones plays a fish man might be similar? <laughs> I, I, Mike, I, can't, I don't see it at all. It's sort of a cross between Abe Sapien and Creature from the Black Lagoon. True. Uh, he kind of mixes both there uh, to great ends. But uh, I just think it's a beautiful movie. But it, it, it definitely has ties. And Hellboy 2 also has some ties with other uh, movies that he's done outside of Hellboy as well. But I really liked his work right before this on Blade 2. Blade 2 blew me away. I think that's a case where I think the sequel is better than the original as well. I agree. That is a popular take. I'm a weirdo who likes Blade 1 a lot more. I, I feel like it's also the one where I get more invested in the characters compared to it, mm-hmm. too, even though the action, I think, is better, clearly, for a lot of reasons. But um, at, at the same time, I think what makes this one my favorite, I would agree that Shape of Water was very close for me for a while, was my favorite, until I think this watch really crystallized for me because I think it has even more of a handle on, like, the monster themes that Shape of Water also does very well. Where, like, it's, it's such an interesting movie where, especially considering, we'll talk about the release of this movie and how it came out in the most crucial summer for blockbusters of the last 20 years or so. Um, and how I think, like, this gets so much of, like, what I wish other superhero movies would get, even though I like Marvel movies, I like DC movies, not a hater on those. But I think this one does an even better job of, like, really crystallizing about, like, what it means being a hero when everybody just hates you because you look different. I think it does such a phenomenal job with that, where the whole time, especially the great sequence um, where he Hellboy gets rid of that giant plant monster, which initially it's a really yes. fun, big action set piece thing. And then we get the villain talking to Hellboy about like, look, why don't you do it? They, they just want you to do it. That's You want to follow the humans and what they want you to do, right? They'll love you now. And it's like, oh, fine, I'll do it. And he does it. And they all fucking hate his guts, even though he <laughs> saved all of them. It's, I think it's such uh, like an, like they don't care at all what he sacrificed for like being able to save their assets. Put some respect on his name. It's Prince Nwada. Prince okay? Nwada. Yes, of course. No, I, I don't disagree with you. I, I, I think you're a hundred percent accurate. I think there's a lot of uh, themes and underlying consequences and, and choices that's done in this film that are, are heavy and uh, heady at the same time wrapped up in this really bright and fun and majestical fantasy piece i've always loved this movie from the second i saw it i I was like oh no this is just it's almost flawless to me like there is flaws in it but it's it's one that i agree with you every time i watch it i I enjoy it more and more and i don't watch it that often because of that because i don't want it to get stale and it never has i i love the look of everything i love the sort of stop motion wooden figures in the beginning when when Broom's telling him the story, probably the young Hellboy makeup is uh, probably the the worst looking makeup in the movie. The most terrifying monster of the film is young Hellboy. Honestly, young Hellboy, <laughs> those fucking teeth, Jesus! I, I I love everything in this movie. I love the dynamic of the villain because, you know, to me Prince Nwada fits the classic villain archetype that to me is the best villain. To where you understand, you you get his plight, you get what he's fighting against for right or for wrong. He believes he's right. And to me, that makes the best villain. Yeah. He very much is like, man, humanity's awful. And they've just completely destroyed like whatever 
hold that we had in our like ability to not stay in the shadows as fantasy creatures. And you're like, yeah, no, yeah, he's no, he's got he's got a good point. You probably shouldn't have killed people, but no, he's got a really good point. <laughs> yeah, he, he he kills a fucking like a forest god. Yes, you know what I'm saying. Like that's insane. Like that's crazy that he does that. But A is a demon, and B is influenced by these awful humans. Jeffrey Tambor. I'll <laughs> say, yeah, the one weakness is kind of like, oh yeah, Jeffrey Tambor has a bigger role, especially you know in replacing a John Hurt who obviously died in the last movie, but whatever. But but Mike, why don't you speak a bit more about this particular film? Maybe some of these thematics we're talking about. This is in addition to being a second Hellboy movie, it also for Del Toro comes at a crossroads for him. He just comes off of Pan's Labyrinth, right? Mm-hmm. So you see that, and all, all the visual things that he was able to do in that movie, he translates over here. So as you guys pointed out the special effects the seamlessness between the visual cg and the practical effects the puppetry is just interwoven in a, in a beautiful way you can't tell where one ends and the other begins like it just it most of the time it's seamless in this it's just great looking all the way around and the effects i think are brilliant but also um just while he's making this he's also in talks to do the hobbit movies right mm-hmm. so uh he's going to he's going to do an adaptation of the hobbit so he's working on that and i think that's why in this movie this is not even though it's based on character and mike mignola had some input and creative control over this it's still del toro's story and unlike a lot of the other hellboy stories from the comics this one is really based more on gaelic celtic fantastical elves and trolls and all that fantasy element to it it's got this kind of harry potter lord of the rings feel to it that um I think works, um, but it's different. It strays a little bit from the comics in that way. Um, and I think we get a little bit of a preview as to what what his Hobbit would have been like, um, because we get to see some of that here. I mean, when you look at uh, the villain who's, who's, who's played really well, I mean, we can definitely see that, you know, he's right out of like a Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings story, it seems like, you know. I, I really agreed with your point particularly about the the meld of the different effects techniques because i think that's another thing is after this point we get a lot more of just like oh we're abandoning practical effects basically i think aside from the Mm -hmm. modern star wars films where they meld them pretty well this is one of the last examples of kind of melding cg and practical effects in a way i think is really stylistically fluid and consistent i really love i think it's i agree that like del toro just has that passion for practical monsters especially that also works with the bigger monsters. like you can tell like he only uses cg when it is something like okay we can't do this with like a big practical puppet right now we're not right. we're not gonna go to stop motion at this point i think it, it's it works great i think particularly somebody like the um the kraus character i think is a great example of that where he's this awesome steampunk suit dude and then when he becomes a wispy ghost as a cg it's like oh it's perfect it's the best mm-hmm. of both those worlds absolutely oh dude and mr wink and Wink, yes, so yes, that's another example. Yeah. It's so good. What a great suit. It just looks great. And even the troll in the cart and the, the Angel of Death by Doug Jones. I mean, that, by the way, that character is such a Del Toro character. Yes. The Angel <laughs> of Death character. I mean, yes. It looks awesome, and it's creepy, and it's weird. Like, I completely agree. This was Del Toro sort of taking... The, what Mike Manolia, the roadmap he set out before him and just kind of going on shortcuts and going off the rails and doing his own thing with it. And uh, it it works to me. And and the thing is, you know, and not to bring up the, the reboot, 
But exactly what you guys talk about, the, the practical effects mixed with the CG, at the reboot sort of abandoned that. It's mostly all CG, and it feels lesser for it. Not to say that the reboot is a terrible film, which it is, but it's, <laughs> it, it, you miss it. You miss it. And this movie, literally, Thomas, I, I, I didn't even think of it that way, but I agree with you 100%. This was absolutely an example of how to blend the two perfectly because it's almost seamless. Like even uh, the scene with Nawada, uh, you know, practicing the spear under the rain and the, the spear is CG and it's growing and shrinking and everything, but it's seamless. It looks great. Yeah, and even like the the work with the action set pieces, I think a big problem with some of the more recent like bigger blockbuster movies, like comic book based or otherwise, is you get a lot of like the previs kind of action beats, which I know even like this movie did to some extent, probably given it's a bigger budget movie. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like we're suddenly watching a video game cutscene. It doesn't feel like we're kind of going through the motions of something that like we have to get to this particular action set piece it feels like everything really flows from like one big set piece to a character moment to all this other stuff like this is a movie where there's really awesome action choreography and then a scene where two monsters are drunk and they sing to barry manilow this is like everything i love about movies this is like such a weird awesome fun movie that at the same time is able to deliver on the big budget spectacle and even the cg characters and the monsters they all have weight to them which is something you lose a lot nowadays where everything just feels like it's, it exists in zero gravity where they're just, there's nothing to them. And this, everything feels like even the golden army, they feel heavy. They yes. feel like big machines and you know, there's a lot of weight to them and they're strong. Prince and Wada fan for life. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, especially because like he really gets into a lot of the thematics. If I was kind of referencing earlier, he has like so much of like this great motivation, but also Hellboy learns from him as a villain where it's like, it's clear you're a villain. I, and he does the whole thing. Like, I don't want to kill you. I want to keep you alive, especially considering the connection with the sister character and Abe Sapien's uh, like attraction to her and all this other stuff. Like you can tell that like there's Hellboy's trying to learn from this guy and his either mistakes, but also his really good points that he has even down to, the ending of this movie is so great. We're just like, well, I saved the world and I'm going to keep doing that, but not for this fucking government organization anymore. Screw you guys. I'm leaving. It's that's such a great ending for this movie, even though obviously it sets up a lot of stuff for a sequel that unfortunately never materialized for a lot of reasons. Uh, the biggest one probably being I referenced this summer earlier. This came out the week before the dark Knight. Yep. So it had a pretty good opening weekend. And then next week it's like, nah, you, you weren't going to do anything. It was, uh, they had no idea how big that movie was going to be. And I think that's a big thing where like summer 2008 is the same year where like not only the dark Knight but earlier that summer is Iron Man. And that obviously shapes MCU and non MCU kind of movies are doing like the sort of, we want to do Christopher Nolan take on either superheroes or whatever other things after this point. And you can tell like movies like this, or even the same summer is also Speed Racer, which is also big and colorful, and I think has a really great use of CG and even practical stuff. I, like I like you know what we do still have mostly with like big superhero comic book movies and stuff, but I kind of want to go to that alternate history where those two were the bigger budget like successes, and we got ripoffs of those two, because that would just be fascinating to me because <laughs> they're both so weird and out there what would you say maybe is like maybe missing from some of the recent comic book stuff from this movie maybe besides from the effects stuff mike what would you say is like you would wish to see in more of these uh bigger superhero movies that come out nowadays well um i mean not to pick on you know too many movies and and look marvel's doing what they're doing and i'm not going to argue with what they're doing i mean they're they rule 
Let's put it that way. And in a lot of ways. Uh, but one thing that I think is important to all movies, and, and Hellboy 2 has a lot of it, um, is character. And when you're invested in characters, that's the key. Like, uh, that, that pulls the whole thing along. And, you know, it's hard when there's multiple characters and there's a team and everything like that, but you've got to let everybody get their shots in. But th this this movie does a pretty good job. I think... I think, uh, you know, Hellboy is established uh, as well. And like you said, um, you know, he's got this little bit of an arc, which unfortunately we never get to really see payoff because we never get a third movie with him. Uh, but the seeds are there. The, the bad guy's great. Uh, I like a good bad guy, and this one's good. I do see that he did have a point in that, you know, in a lot of ways he was um, in the right, and especially when trying to convince uh, Hellboy to, to come along to his side. I wish we just had as viewers more to go on with that. Like if we had seen some sort of incident where, um, you know, mankind had done something like besides like the story time stuff that like in modern times that mankind had like done something horrible to them. Um, specifically like, like it would have been great for him to be like more like a killmonger type character. Right. Where, where we agree with him. We're like, wow, he's right. But you know, we can't really agree with his methods, right? So bottom line is he's going to destroy the world, so we got to have to go with the good guy. All the other characters are given stuff to do. I would argue maybe that um, Liz uh, is just given the thing, like, you're pregnant, and that's it. Like, she doesn't really get too much to do. She's really powerful, at least in the comics anyway. And I can think of two situations in this movie where she could have, like, really made a difference. But um, at the end, like fight scene, she with the golden army there, she just stands there. And I don't that's a real like that's a big drop for me. I'm like, she's not doing anything, guys. Why is she in this scene? And she should do something because she's really powerful. She could have taken out some of the army or whatever, uh, something uh, maybe or maybe use the excuse that she can't use her powers or go full full fiery on her because she's pregnant. Maybe she's carrying like that. Uh, I think Selma Blair does a great job with what she's got given, but I think they could have done a little bit more that way. So, but when you're juggling so many balls in the air, it's kind of hard not to drop a couple. Yeah. She, I think aside from the bit near the opening where she destroys the tooth fairy creatures, I think that's the only one she uses her powers really. But, yep. um, and I do agree generally, they kind of had that problem with her, but at the same time, I really feel invested in her relationship with Hellboy, even down to, she's the one that makes that sacrifice to, like, allow Hellboy to live, even though she knows from that demon person, just like, hey, look, uh, you can have him live, but the thing is, he's going, his destiny is to unleash the apocalypse and destroy everything. Like, do you want to yeah. do that? And she's like, yes. And she doesn't even hesitate on it. It's true, but then there's that thing where, like, you know, it's all about the guy. So right. it's, it would be great if she had, you know, agency of her own. But her relationship with Hellboy, you're right, is 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 the reason why she's there. Yeah, I would argue the first yeah. movie does her a bit dirtier with, like, having her do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that could be. That could be. I definitely agree. Uh, comic book Liz Sherman uh, in this film were to <laughs> unleash, then, I mean, they probably would have won pretty, almost immediately against yeah. Goldarm. It's almost like at the end when she melts the, the 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 crown, it's almost like she's like, okay, I let you boys play around for a while, but now this yeah. is over. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I could have seen this at any time, but... <laughs> <laughs> but to go back to what you're saying, Thomas, uh, the one thing that this movie has that I think some of the mainstream are missing, I, 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 you know, it's a weird term to put it this way, but sort of a uh, 
menacing whimsy about it. It takes itself seriously, but it also has moments of pure levity that also don't detract from the story, which a lot of times uh, will happen in modern day comic movies and everything, where it'll be so comedic for no and for no reason. Uh, especially MCU, because as as Mike said, they are you know that's it right now. I mean they they are king. Um, I'd say the one I could compare probably most of this would probably be Thor Ragnarok, as far as it's got this great moments of levity, but it also serves the story and for the general characters. Um, and that's something you don't get a lot. A lot of them take themselves way too seriously. I'm looking at you, DCEU. Like just I miss that sense of fun. Like this movie is fun. And as they've gotten on and they keep going and going, they, they, they're getting almost too dark in tone. And, you know, I never read a comic book as a child uh, wanting to be depressed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I read it for fun and adventure. And this movie is that uh, in spades. I mean, it's just pure fun. I mean, I wouldn't say it's just like the what you're talking about with like the humor, because I think there's that particular edge of that double edged sword as it were. Um, but there's also the, o- <laughs> a third anniversary, I can do it. Um, but then there's the other, <laughs> there's the other end of it where I think Marvel has kind of gotten to, especially post the first Avengers and given Joss Whedon was involved a lot more of like the snarky attitude about how like, well, this is a superhero thing, but this is kind of silly, right? Guys? Like we can make jokes about how everybody looks or whatever. This movie has jokes, but they all feel more from the characters and it doesn't, feel like any of this stuff is being like insincere when any of like the jokes are happening it feels a lot more just like this all feels natural to this story especially down to even the movie does something that i think a lot of these uh, bigger blockbusters don't even do which is like hellboy is part of this government organization and by the end of the movie he realizes like oh it's bullshit like you're not gonna see marvel do that with the military as often unless it's like uh, falcon winter soldier like most of the time like in the big movies they're not gonna necessarily have any of that kind of criticism baked into it um and i think something even like as much as i love men in black they don't even do that that much with uh, that franchise either about what's going on even down to like the the kraus character who i think has a great arc in this movie where he wants help boy to like hey ship up and you gotta do exactly like this but follow my orders and all this other stuff and he just realizes like Oh no, that's that's dumb. We we shouldn't do that because there's like bigger stakes in here. Like, oh, we need to get a permit or whatever for this plane. No, there's an emergency. We need to go and stop the world from being destroyed. I think like they all these characters, even the smaller ones, even down to like Abe has that where he's much more of like a a company man, but then finds like love in his life and finds a connection with somebody and realizes like he can't just be this prim and proper like government tool throughout the whole movie and Hellboy even realizes that where like he's always been rebellious but he's always kind of like yeah I gotta stay in the line because like they're feeding me and like giving me a place for my cats or whatever but I think this movie it's so much more critical of the institution that these like characters are put in to the point where like it feels much more like this rebellious interesting dynamic that I wish would have played further in a third movie considering they leave by the end of it I think it it has like so many more like daring ideas for a bigger blockbuster that we just don't see as often i think that's all del toro obviously yeah and and the source material i mean when your main guy is a guy who's prophesized to destroy the world that's your main hero he's a demon 
You know, I mean, the, 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 it's right in his name, right? Hellboy, right? I mean, he is a bad, he's supposed to be a bad guy, but he's working for us. And, uh, and you know, because he, he had, uh, you know, good parents, uh, good human parents, I guess. Um, his dad told him good bedtime stories. Uh, so that was good. So I think uh, that's a big, that's a big impact here. Whereas, you know, you don't really get that, you know, with any of the main superhero movies. They're They're either really good or they're... You know, they're not. There's no that. There's not a lot of in between. There's there's as much interesting middle ground to it. Yeah, I agree. Before we get to final thoughts, I do just want to ask everybody, like maybe aside from some of the people we've mentioned, uh, specific characters, what is your favorite monster design in this movie? What is the one that you immediately gravitate toward? Of like, oh, that's a really fun one, especially in the troll market. Which, for the record, any one monster design from the troll market could be the main monster of like any horror movie. <laughs> that's true <laughs> but uh, what, Mike what, who was your favorite sort of like of the various different character designs you see I'm not going to say my favorite because it's not my favorite and visually it's not even really uh, spectacular but the one that I always come back to the one that I think of is uh, the tumor like I just <laughs> like that one the, like the talking tumor like it just uh, um, I mean that one sticks with you like that that's a that's a case where you're not going to see that in anything else. I mean that's a Del Toro um and maybe a Magnola uh you know original. Th- that and even like also I love the guy that the tumor is attached to even looks like a weird thumb man basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean the combination of them obviously you can't have one without the other but the fact that at the end you know he just like I'm not a baby I'm a tumor you know it's like ugh. ugh. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's a good bit. It's a good bit for sure. What about you, Adam? Who's your favorite of the different creatures? One of my favorites, man, it, it, it's the one who's in sort of the church or chapel to where the uh, Nuada's sister hides. And he's that mouthless creature with the big eyes, but his head looks like a cathedral. Yes. It's so fucking bizarre and cool. And the level of detail in there is amazing. I think it's such a cool design, and it tells you exactly what that character is. Uh, those are both pretty great. I would say mine is an early one. He's the, um, I think they call him the Chamberman, um, who Nuada initially encounters before he's able to see his father. That guy looks so just inhuman <laughs> on so many levels. We're just like, he's got like the several different chins and his very thin spindly pencily arms and that's also doug jones doing that character which is like such a great character it's just like um, um excuse me I, you can't come in you have to like pull off to the side shout out to doug jones playing three different characters in this movie and also getting to actually use his voice unlike the first movie where they tried to have david hyde pierce step him over but yeah even then there's still so many others we can mention that are in that different troll shops or even the the weird like bag lady who's like a different creature they have to look through the binoculars yep. for or any of these other ones there's so many we can go into but we have another movie we do have to talk about so oh, I, let's let's go into final thoughts we can't, we can't just talk about more creatures on this like... no, no but we could <laughs> we could believe you and me uh, i would want to but we have <laughs> our bit needs to be maintained mike we have to stick to the bit so uh your your final thoughts on hellboy 2 mike 
Hellboy 2 is great. Um, you know, I think it takes, uh, you know, whatever your feelings are for the first one. I mean, I, I think I have a little bit more love for the first one than you guys do. But, um, you know, this one is great as well. And it's it's too bad they weren't able to continue with this franchise because I think it was in great hands. If, if these are the only two movies that we have, then I cherish them because they're, they're great fun to watch at, at any time, I think. And Adam, your final thoughts. I mean, yeah, I absolutely love this movie. I, I love the series as of what we got, the first two. Uh, the first one's a Wolfenstein slash Lovecraft movie, and the second one's a straight-up fantasy, dark Lord of the Rings sort of idea. I, I, I can't imagine where, where the third one would have gone. Uh, but that being said, I, I yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of this movie. I love the look of it. I love the villain. Uh, you know, Luke Goss. You know, he's not the greatest of actors, but Del Toro's always used him right, and I'd say that this is his best performance ever in film. Um, I love the look of Prince Nawada. I love the look of all the different creatures, even the tooth fairies. They're kind of silly looking, but they're still like, oh, I would not want those things around me. Yeah, I, I think this is an absolute feast for the imagination and the eyes. Yeah, um, I, I do second everything, especially about these other movies. With just a sidebar of, like, the weirdest thing about doing that th- Hellboy reboot is like okay so these other two movies did pretty well but you're kind of on the fence about doing a sequel I get not doing a third one because of that but then you think hey let's alienate anybody who liked those two movies and try and get new fans for something as niche as Hellboy by doing a reboot that just feels like it was dead on arrival that's just a dumb idea. True, to do. and it, and it's not even a you know it's not even a complete reboot because it does have a lot of elements that were supposed to be in the third movie. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's kind of like trying to have its cake and eat it too, and it just and no one wanted that fucking cake. <laughs> no one wanted. No, it. nobody wanted that cake. No, and I feel bad for David Harbour because I thought he was really well cast. I mean, that's not an easy uh, right uh, hand to fill. <laughs> yes, and, uh, uh, and and he does a pretty good job. Right, despite the the movie around him, I agree he's trying. But um, with Hellboy two, I I think it's just it's it's everything I like about Del Toro, both as a great um, auteur who loves genre and loves you know being able to create fantastical worlds, but also as a fun spectacle director who loves like those American movies at the same time. He's like I think this is the perfect middle ground of so many of those different influences that I think is just like so fun from beginning to end and has really interesting character stuff that's going on. Even with, I can agree that some like, uh, like Liz or even the sister of uh, Prince Dewada, um, the princess kind of like both are not as well developed as some of the others, but at the same time are given like really powerful moments that I think do have an impact. And I think overall, yeah, it's, it's a great meld of practical and CG stuff. And it's a movie we just don't get as often anymore in terms of big spectacles where it feels like there's a lot of love and dedication and care to it and a lot more visual diversity and all this other stuff. I think it's, it's such an incredible movie that, uh, you know, I hope at some point Del Toro has the cachet to do something else in this vein with a big budget. But before we get to our next feature, here is a promo for an ESO show you can queue up after ours. We are the Air Station One Podcast, and we approve this message. Hi, I'm Judy, and I've been a listener of Earth Station One for over 10 years. Yeah, every day while Mike edited together over 550 episodes, you know all that geek-themed blah, blah, blah. I've listened so much that now I hear howdy in my sleep. You, too, can enjoy all the Earth Station One fun wherever fine podcasts are found. Okay, Mike, I did this for you. 
Are we going to get another dog now? The Earth Station One podcast. Over 10 years for geeks by geeks. And uh, let's get into the second half of this double feature with The Crow. Wicked Prayer. We are told that when someone dies, the crow carries their soul to the land of the dead. Then sometimes, the crow can bring that soul back to put the wrong things right. Didn't we kill that guy? So uh, this is the fourth film in the Crow franchise, uh, which obviously is based on the graphic novel originally by James O'Barr, though also it's this one is based on a particular novel. It's kind of a spinoff by Norman Partridge. But I guess before we get into this movie, we should definitely talk about The Crow, both the original film and I guess the source material. Have either of you read the source material? Oh, yeah. I am very familiar yes. with uh, the source material, yeah. It's a very personal intense story of grief guilt and everything that goes with it uh anger uh rage um everything in preparation for this episode not only did i watch the movies but i also you know reread some some old hellboy trades but i i couldn't pick up my copy of the crow because right now i'm just not in a place where i want to go there it's really like a deep personal intense story. It's one of those ones that, you know, James O'Barr said he never had any intention of following up with another one. And of course, you know, Hollywood can't let that go, but so they do. Um, and, um, you know, we get stuff like this. And are you a fan of the uh, original film? Absolutely. Absolutely. The first movie, um, Brandon Lee was, I thought, amazing in it. I, I thought it was a great um, adaptation. It's not as intense uh, which is, I guess, not a bad thing because, you know, you don't want everybody coming out of the movie theater like, you know, all confused and in tears and enraged. But um, uh, but I but it's also a love story, too. And um, I think the first one really had that balance. Um, plus, it was just cool, stylized, visually cool acting, had had everything going for it. I thought it was just lightning in a, in a bottle, um, despite the fact that, you know. A uh, very, very tragic event happened during it. For sure, yeah. And uh, Adam, what about your thoughts on the source material on the original movie? Look, I was a fucking tween in the <laughs> 90s, all right? <laughs> so the, Crow, the Crow graphic novel was like my Bible. I mean, I, I read it ad nauseum. I read it to the point where the pages started coming off the binding. I've read it so many times because, you know, I'm 13. So, of course, I'm like, this is me. Which, no, it isn't at all. It doesn't relate to me at all. But it was the it was the greatest thing I've ever read, ever, ever. It was amazing. And the movie, it was one of those things where I begged and begged and pleaded for my mom to buy me the VHS tape for Christmas. And she was like, I'm not buying you that. It's a hard, it's an R rated movie, blah, blah, blah. And she fucking got it for me. And it meant so much to me. And I wore it out. The crow single handedly took me into what adult comics could be and what non sort of Cape heroes and Cape stories could be. Yeah. The crow was huge for me growing up. 
huge. It was it was like the be all end all. Yeah, and I mean, I I haven't read the original source material, but I have seen the original film, and I even rewatched that along with I watched all of the crew movies. <laughs> Oh all of them <laughs> wow uh, I, I will say i think the original crow which i did see as a teen i think it's because of this sort of unfortunate connection obviously as you mentioned the sure. the brandon lee tragedy kind of like ha- it had that uh, uh sort of cursed film attachment to it that um i was at least fascinated to see and i think that movie still does really work for what it is which is a very 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 90s movie it is firmly set in its time, made of its time, in a way that I think really works. It's not, like, dated in a way where I'm like, oh, my God, I'm just cringing at everything. No, I think it, like, it fits perfectly as, like, this is a snapshot of the aesthetic of particularly that era, like, 1994 specifically, when the movie came out. It has it has a lot of that um, to it. And I think it, obviously, also, Brandon Lee really works. I think not just because you get a lot of, like, the character-focused tragedy, but also he's such a weird, interesting performer in that movie with stuff like the... Um, the bit where he's accosting John Polito at the pawn shop is like my favorite scene where he's just like, oh, the jolly band of pirates with their jolly pirate nicknames. The way he delivers that and the way he just does like all this other weird stuff. It's a phenomenal, interesting performance that elevates material that's a bit more kind of like campier <laughs> than I think it's trying to be necessarily on its face. Uh, but yeah, and then, you know, we got those various sequels, one theatrical and then two of these straight-to-video ones, most of which tried to kind of copy what the original movie did to uh, lesser results. And I'll say that The Crow Wicked Prayer, I don't think, is trying to replicate The Crow as distinctly as the other two sequels are, uh, but it is also still garbage. (laughs) Just pure, outright garbage. And Adam, I want you to talk a bit more about it, because this was your pick, and we actually had watched this together on a movie night kind of thing. You randomly thought like, oh, let's, let's watch this. And, uh, it's at least, it's a fascinating wreck of a movie. That's, that's definitely sure. But that, why don't you go a bit further, especially as to why you decided to pick the crow wicked prayer. All right. Hold on to your butts. Um, I, I picked it because how do I, how do I put this delicately? This is one of the worst fucking pieces of shit I've ever seen. It's so unbelievably bad. And yet, one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. Why? Why? Why do they have bios in the beginning? <laughs> why is there character bio? Like, what? Huh? Why is the bad guy from Karate Kid 2 a Texan? What? Why? Why? <laughs> Dennis Hopper? Macy Gray? Why is that a thing? Like, they're American Indians? It's Danny Trejo. Edward Furlong's name is Jimmy Cuervo? It, 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 Sharpie? He uses Sharpie to draw on his makeup? Like, I, I just, I'm so dumbfounded by, oh, um, 100% of this movie. This is such a cash grab of a movie for a already dead franchise. Like, I don't even understand why, why this, why any money was put into this. Dennis Hopper's name is El Nino. Uh, uh, the guy from the Matrix quotes Sun Tzu all the time. Like, what is this? What is this movie? Like, it's so, uh, for lack of a better word, dumb. It's it's so bad. And and Edward Furlong, huh? What? Like he's 
like, like I, I've said when we watched this, Thomas, I was like, he looks like my 50 year old aunt who's still into Bauhaus. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what, what, it's the, it's, it's, <laughs> Dave Reyes is Satan and he's also like a sex pervert. Like, that's a thing. Just no. Just all of this is very no. This whole movie is very no. Uh, it, it, but it also has Tito Ortiz in it for some reason. I mean, Adam, those are pretty good final thoughts. Then we had so Mike, your final thoughts. The no, I mean, I, it's hard. I mean, I hate dumping on movies, right? I just hate it. Mm-hmm. Like I hate it. But man, there's not a lot to like about this movie at all. And and I think you know where Adam's coming from is that what makes it even worse and what makes you angry about it is that it's about you know it's a crow movie one of the best most personal comics that's ever been made as well as like a really fine you know movie adaptation and this is insult like to everything like this is insult to everything that is good about movies comic book movies movies in general people in general audiences in general it's just it is awful um and it 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 starts with the script um, it goes into the casting, even actors who I like, David Boreanaz, I like him. And if you had told me 15 years ago when this was being made or whatever, that, um, you know, Angel is going to be the next Crow, I'm like, that sounds intriguing. That sounds exciting. But no, he's the bad guy. Um, and all he does is ham it up. Um, and, it, you know, it's hard to take a movie seriously when the guy who's supposed to be Satan embodied in a human form is wearing tidy whities um, <laughs> Like, that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Uh, Tara Reed's character just flips back and forth. One minute she's gouging someone's eyes out. The next minute she's looking at people like she's horrified that this is happening. And I don't even know where to start with Edward Furlong. I mean, to, to oh. base a movie on him, I mean, with him as your lead... I just don't understand how that happens ever. Um, I think it's you. It's you. You make a very clearly straight to video movie, and you need some kind of a name, so you get the cheapest name you can get. You have Tara Reid, who was kind of a big star at the time. You have Dave Boreanaz, who was kind of a big star at the time, and you have fucking Danny Trejo and Dennis Hopper. Well, he's just picking up a check. I mean, that's obvious, right? Oh, um, or someone's got, uh, yeah, because you can't say anybody's got photos on him. Because really, I mean, what does Dennis Hopper care? Also, also, Danny Trejo is just like, yeah, whatever, sure. The toughest thing that they can think of for Danny Trejo to do in this movie is dance. Yes. I'm like, oh, like, you have Danny Trejo in your movie, and you're going to have him dance. But the worst, the most insulting thing about this movie, the just the worst crime that it commits is that its soundtrack blows. Like oh, yes. the other two movies, the other two Crow movies, the sequels that are not great, they have great soundtracks. And the, of course, the original Crow movie has one of the best, I think, movie soundtracks of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This movie sound, they can't even get the soundtrack right. I mean, it just blows on every single level. I mean, it's, it's, this one is a waste of time. And I'm mad at you guys for like <laughs> having me watch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. No, that's true. <laughs> uh, we, we don't necessarily blame you. Um, but but yeah, I think when you, guys, when you guys pick a bad movie, you you don't mess around. <laughs> no, true. This is even the worst movie we've done on the show. Think of that. <sighs> it's up there. It's, it's I, up there, I, though, yeah. Well, and I think a lot of it comes from, like, you mentioned sort of, like, the script and the direction. This is co-written and directed by a guy named Lance Mungia, who before this had made a movie, Six String Samurai 
which was kind of like a, a big cult movie of like the late 90s where like it didn't do that well in theaters but like it, it, a buzz. Yes. it was like an indie hit you know like oh and yeah so i think they thought they were being edgy by giving it th- but he was not ready for the keys to this kingdom no and even like with his damaged merchandise as the crow was at this point after the two sequels yeah it just it, it but it also it feels so much kind of like what i finally watched six string samurai right before actually i watched this as well and what i think that movie has that this movie does even worse is like it feels so much like oh we're trying to be a quirky weird cult movie and I think this one does that even worse, where it's like, hey, we're going to do a Crow movie, but really, it's kind of like a weird uh, neo-Western, where we're going to have our banditos be a bunch of modern criminal thugs, and they're all going to have distinctive character traits that we're going to display, as Adam mentioned earlier. And even like the over-the-top performance of someone like a David Boreanaz feels so much more insincere. Like, with Camp... You have to, like, not be so in on the joke. And Dave Boreanaz is, like, eating the scenery while winking at you. Like, huh? Look at this. I'm eating the scenery. Isn't this great? Watch me do it in my terrible mesh shirt. (laughs) Don't worry. I'll change my outfit to something else terrible (laughs) in about, like, 20 minutes. Uh, His wardrobe is the worst in this movie. Just so many bad outfits. And also, they have a party where everything is deviled. Yes. They have devil's food cake, (laughs) deviled eggs, deviled ham. (laughs) It's so fucking stupid. Like, it's so on-the-nose stupid. Like, we fucking get it. That's the thing, Mike. You, you, it's, it's, you said it perfectly. It's not only insulting for fans of the source material. It's insulting for fans of cinema. And, Thomas, you said it really well, too. Like, they are trying to make a cult movie here. And it that will always fail. That will always fail. If you try to make a movie where you're like, oh, but people are really going to love it later. No, this isn't it. You can't do that. That just naturally happens. If you try to do that, it doesn't fucking work. And this is a prime example of that. Yeah, particularly like the Dennis Hopper character is that all over, where he's this priest sort of uh, slash drug lord character that... Right, the pimp, slash pimp as well, yes, he's a lot of things, he's a triple threat of a character, Um, who, like, he has this whole thing about um, his character trait, it's just that he says a lot of gangsta rap words, quote-unquote. You're the real OG! Right? He, he calls Tara Reid shawty several times. He says a lot of very uh, awful, dumb things that just feel, once again, like this, that feels like a character who's manufactured to be like someone who you would see in a fun, like, you know, black exploitation movie or weird cult movie of the 70s that's just like, oh my god, that's like such a weird thing that just came out of these people's weird heads as opposed to this feels very manufactured to be like, oh, this is a fun cult movie moment, right? And it's like, no, this is just like really insulting and grating. That's the the biggest thing I describe this movie as is grating the entire time. Yes. Even when you try and get yep. invested in the love story with Furlong oh, yeah. and his um, tragic loss of his lady love, um, you don't feel any of that emotion partially because of, you know... Furlong not being the best actor, but also just because, like, they're trying so hard. It feels weirdly like this was some script that the director probably had, and he really shoehorned in the Crow element of it. Like, even more so than the other movies that are trying to imitate the Crow badly. This feels like it's a Crow movie by, like, the second to last draft, basically, <laughs> is what it feels like. We're just like, oh, fuck, we have to get him in makeup and everything. It feels so shoehorned into this movie. The movie is full of references to ravens. Note to everybody who made this movie, ravens are not crows. <laughs> like, they are two completely different creatures. And yet, 
telling me that those are two different species of it. <laughs> exactly. They don't even like. Yeah, uh, they're, they're, bla- they're blackbirds who can <laughs> right, exactly. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Their attitude is even racist to the birds. <laughs> the the only racism in the movie clearly nothing against like their depiction of no, Native Americans or anything no not at all and how horribly awful it is Edward Furlong's name is Jimmy Cuervo it's Spanish for crow I'm surprised they didn't use the word Spanish for raven it's Jimmy El Raveno we have to stop it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the dumbest shit god damn is this movie stupid so t- you know you brought up Mike Terry Reed's character so yeah, she does. She flip flops so bad in this movie. Every scene, yeah. she's like inconsistent. Like you're like, I don't know what she is. She literally like gouges out that girl's eyes, and then the next scene, David Boreanaz's character like takes out uh, Jimmy's heart, and she's horrified. Like, oh, that's too far. You went too far. <laughs> I say as I'm blinking with my new eyes I put into my skull. <laughs> Yeah, she cuts her eyes out with a sacrificial satanic blade. And yeah, he rips his still-beating heart out of his chest, which, okay, fine, whatever. But then she puts the eyes in her own skull so she can see better. But, like, the very next scene, she, like, regrets it. Like, I can't believe I did this. (laughs) What is the point of this character? To bang David Boreanaz before the sun comes up in a cemetery so he can actually become Satan? Like, I don't... What? What? And by the way, if you're going to wear a mesh shirt with buttons, <laughs> get one that fucking fits. <laughs> Jesus Christ. The, you see the diamond shape between the buttons because it doesn't fit. Wear the shirt that fits. That that wasn't clearly in the budget <laughs> along with like having, say, a full dance hall for their big uh, raven fests. <laughs> Why? Why? And by the way, no one looked at that dye job on fucking David Boreas. was like, oh, this is bad. Maybe we should just let him have his natural hair color. No, nah, fuck it. Put shoe polish in his hair. Oh, God. I'm so upset about everything that's happened uh, in this movie. And then it makes me feel things about my own life that I don't know if I'm ready to process any of this right now. <laughs> you decided to willingly watch this again. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I... I, I agree. I think even it's insulting even as like a straight to video sequel, which is saying a lot. Cause like I've seen competent straight to video sequels that necessarily aren't good, but don't at least feel like they are so amateurly put together. But the thing is you've seen better directed video sequels in the franchise. Even the third one, as bad as it is, it's better than this one. Well, as they get progressively worse. And so, you know, you watch the second one, you're like, wow, that was really bad. I don't, uh, and you see the third one, you're like, well, it can't be worse than the second one. Oh, it is. And then same thing here. You get trapped in that. Well, it can't be worse than the third. Oh, wow. Yeah, it is. Oh, this, oh, this is the worst of the bunch. Oh, yeah. For and sure. then they, then this one, this one's the final nail in the coffin. Like this is this kills the franchise uh, for, you know, 15 years and counting now. Despite how many times they have tried to do a reboot. Um, which I'm hope doesn't happen because it just feels like we, we we should have laid this dressed a while ago, and especially doing a reboot just feels like what what are we gonna accomplish with that? What what do we what do we get out of that? What, what do we get that we didn't get from that original movie? Wasn't it one point it's gonna be Luke Evans, and then it was become Jason Momoa, yeah. and then it was gonna be Jack Houston, and now it's like 
nobody, and yet it's still in pre-production. Like, dude, just let it die. And it's I can't gone. believe with all this talk about a sequel or reboot or whatever, and all the sequels that they did, because they did three of them, it boggles my mind that it never occurred to them to have a female crow, to switch it gender-wise. And yet, <laughs> like, at least... That would be interesting to me. Like, they did that on the TV show. I like the TV show. Yeah. You know, it strikes me as odd. They, they're like, no, no, you can't have a woman crow. We'd rather have Edward Furlong. I'm like, well, you've made that bid. But they did you know, crow in the comics. They did it. Yeah. I forget that. And, and it was a great story. I forget the actual name of the, you know, the limited run. But it was a crow. Some, and it was a great story. Just do that then. Why reboot it? Come fresh with it then. Yeah, Adam, this is, this is a good point because there are some good crow follow-up story comics. I think that the big thing is really they just need to step away from like trying to imitate that original movie, which is the problem of like all these sequels where it's well, just sure. like, oh, we want to try and like recreate what like Brandon Lee kind of did in that performance, but like each of those guys, God bless them for like attempt like being tasked with that and not being able to really do it. And even down to like we we mentioned like how much worse, especially even like the costumes, like where you get from the original very clear like movie created like makeup and costume to in the second movie kind of feels like oh this is a really high end like Etsy shop you would have gotten this from that would have cost you like probably around like 500 to a thousand dollars but it's pretty good down to the third movie's like party city version down to this is the costume you would get the dollar tree that's not even called the crow it's called like raven revenge man or whatever <laughs> i was actually trying to think of some similarities between this and uh hellboy 2 and the only two that i can come up with that i came up with was that both are based on um you know original independent comic creations where the the filmmakers are doing their own take um even though with hellboy 2 mcdonald is involved it's really more of dotora's story um it's not really it's not a, a straight-up adaptation of anything mcnola did and um it actually strays i think a little bit i mean the pregnancy thing for example isn't anything that's in the comic so you know, it kind of strays that way. And so there you're, you as you have more and more, you know, adaptations done in a franchise, I think you get further and further away from the original source material. In Hellboy 2, there's a lot of different mythologies at play there. Of course, you have Christian mythology. You have, um, you know, the, the Gaelic, uh, Celtic mythology. You have some more Lovecraftian stuff, influences in there and all that. This one too, but it's 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 done in a level that you know you can tell that the people there just didn't do their research and didn't really care, and um, it just falls flat and doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's a movie where it's trying to like glide a lot of those thematic stuff, some more aesthetics, and the problem is that they don't even have the slickness to make the aesthetics work on any level. <laughs> it's but I like... could see on paper where they'd be like, you know, the producers would be like, hey, it's just like Hellboy 2, you know, it's like we got to, I mean, even though this came before it, but it's like, look, we just, uh, you know, it's on paper to studio executives, they don't know the difference. You know, they don't really care. That's They just uh, care about the budgets, right? And of course, this one has the lowest budget out of any of the movies. Um, and, uh, it, you know, I can't say that that's the reason that it suffers because the things that are wrong with this movie are nothing to do with budget. You know, it doesn't cost any more to get a better script. It doesn't cost any more to try and rein in David Boreanaz as he does what could only be described as, like, a shit posting 
of a performance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I th- that's that sums that up. Yeah, pretty much. Let's uh, we should get into summing up because we've gone a while on this. So uh, let's go ahead, uh, Mike. Your final thoughts, if you have any more to give about the Crow Wicked prayer. Don't see this. It's bad. Um, you know, I'm at a point in my life where I don't want to waste time with uh, bad movies, and um, and yeah, that I I got tri- I got tricked into watching this one. Um, but you know, but hopefully, listeners of this. You know, like, look, we had a lot of fun making fun of this movie, but don't mistake that to have a lot of fun watching this movie. Uh, There are movies that are bad, that are fun to watch. This is not one of those movies. Um, It is, you know, if you can, if you get anything out of this, our review of this movie, it should be, do not waste your time. Do not waste your money. Do not watch this movie. Put in something else, anything else. Put in, put in Hellboy 2. You knew the job was dangerous when you took it of signing up to this episode to the show. True. I did, I did, I did, I did. Yes, I'm not laying it all at your feet. <laughs> very true, very true. But uh, Adam, if you can give some sane final thoughts about the Crow Wicked Prayer. Ten out of ten, Crow is Bay. <laughs> no, this is this is awful. I mean, it's awful. It's insulting on every level. I mean, it's, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. When you and I watched a Thomas on our movie night, we I, I we were laughing the whole time just at the preposterous of the whole movie. Um, it, it's just how this exists and how this was made and actually filmed and, and had a, any kind of a budget is just amazing to me. And that is not an endorsement. I, I, I second Mike, don't watch this. Just, it just It's not worth your time unless you are a glutton for punishment and or under the influence of something anyone to laugh that might help but our net no it's, it's atrocious yeah it's atrocious especially considering like we mentioned how bad this franchise is it is distinctively worse than any of the other ones by like a solid margin and i think it's it's because it's not just i agree like oh straight to video sequel my expectations are already kind of low when you're the fourth iteration in our crow franchise that feels like it should have been a franchise anyway and this movie goes below those expectations that were extremely low to begin with it can't even like limbo underneath it's just like it's astonishing just how like incompetent this really is as a movie and i'm sure some of it was studio meddling i'm sure some of it was also just an inexperienced director who wasn't sure what exactly he wanted to accomplish of making this kind of quirky cult movie of a crow sequel uh but regardless yeah i just think it's it's a failure on like every conceivable level but not in as we mentioned the fun way something like uh fateful findings we did last week which is much more enjoyable and we would recommend watching as a fun bad movie for sure as opposed to this yeah it's one of the worst movies we definitely have talked about for the show maybe not the worst but it's in the the bottom 10 of ones we've talked about for the show i would definitely say uh but that's the end of us talking about those two movies. And now uh, for our third anniversary, we're introducing a new segment. That's right, folks. This is the debut of a brand new segment that we're going to be uh, doing from now on in here called the Double Redo, which basically is going to be uh, us. After we talked about this double feature, we're going to talk about a double feature uh, that we've programmed here ourselves. Uh, I will c- come to the table with a good double feature based around the topic and a bad one. Adam will do the same. Uh, but Adam and I have come to the table with uh, both uh, a good double feature and a bad double feature each uh, based around the topic, just to give you uh, all an idea of like, oh, what are two movies we would recommend and two we would not whatsoever based around this topic that we're doing. I'm going to start here 
with uh, both uh, of my double features, uh, which I would say in the realm of non-Marvel or DC comic book movies, the good double feature I would recommend is uh, I went with a double feature that sort of showed off where, given we're adapting comic books, uh, movies that uh, sort of brought both um, a grounded realism to animated uh, idea and even vice versa with a uh, broad, sort of sillier, cartoonish aesthetic to the natural world. And so my good double feature is, uh, first off, to start off a slightly heavier, but still like a pretty engaging coming-of-age movie based on the Marjane Satrapi graphic novel, which she also directed this animated film, Persepolis, I would say is one of my favorite examples of a comic book adaptation where it's a story that feels like you could say, hey, how this coming-of-age movie about a young uh, woman growing up in Iran during the Iranian Revolution, why would we, you know, see that as an animated movie or a comic strip? How would that work? And it has such a creative, fun energy to it. It has a lot of fun moments. It's very entertaining. It's great to see her grow up in this way. But also you get the importance of, like, being an actual individual in the middle of this, like, tumultuous time. And then the inverse, as a, a live-action adaptation of something that had been animated previously, I have Robert Altman's Popeye, which is a controversial choice, very contentious, with uh, people sort of, like, their opinions on this particular movie. But I love Popeye. I think it's a great example of, like, Robin Williams goes full cartoon in a way that I think really works, but also there's a lot of emotional sincerity that comes from Altman doing this particular movie. Um, and I love Shelley Duvall in it. It has like the kind of rambling sensibility of Robert Altman, but also a cartoonishness that I don't think you get from most sort of like live action adaptations of um, comic strip adaptations in this case. And I think also it, it just swings through the fences with stuff like at one point, Bluto gets angry at Popeye and Olive Oil being together. And you see his point of view and everything looks red, but instead of being like a red gel, like every single element of the screen is like painted red like the clothes everyone's wearing the set has been turned red all this other stuff i i think it's a very underrated movie but my bad double feature kind of speaks to this as well it's two sequels that i think kind of are examples of like based on these other comic books that uh, don't really capture their original predecessors and also kind of go for cartoonish aesthetic within an, an, a live action sphere um i have son of the mask the terrible sequel to the mask that I think um, is just like an example of like, oh, why you can't follow up something that felt so very of its time, much like The Crow, uh, where it's Jamie Kennedy going into the mask, but also having a child conceived of the mask. It's a very weird premise, and um, it is one of the worst sequels ever made, I would definitely argue. And on the more darker side of that, you have also uh, Sin City, A Dame to Kill For, where you took the original Oops. Sin City and followed it up way too late with just a very piss poor attempt at kind of recapturing that magic in a way that just nobody really gave a crap about and uh, even though it's not like a movie where it wasn't that successful and like oh it's a shame uh, the people who come back and reprise their roles are very much doing so out of like desperation and the newer people just aren't given a lot to do um and yeah those are my two double features okay for mine i went old school 40s 50s like almost serial type comic strip films uh because that's a huge thing I love. So for my good double feature, and I'm not going to get 
too in depth of them i'll just kind of name them i have uh the rocketeer balanced with believe it or not guilty pleasure movie but i still think it's quite fun uh the phantom with billy zane and treat williams i know it's not a great movie but i think billy zane is really giving his all and i think he's a very charismatic leading leading man and uh treat williams is chewing up the fucking scenery in the in the film i i I think it's really good and the phantom's always been one of my favorite characters i mean the ghost who walks i mean what a great great surname uh and for my bad on the flip side of the serial films i have the shadow with alec baldwin which is a terrible terrible film and then i have uh, i don't know if it's a hot take but uh i recently watched it and other than makeup effects i think it's pretty atrocious i have dick tracy I, you know, like I said, other than makeup effects, I think there's nothing in that movie that is endearing. I, I think it's it's quite atrocious. You're missing out on the set design and the photography and a lot of other stuff that makes it oh, pretty right. dope. Oh, you're right. I thought it was my favorite. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Honestly, I think with the, to speak to your movies, um, I, I would say with Dick Tracy, the biggest problem is just that Warren Beatty is Dick Tracy in that movie. I think otherwise it's pretty, like, everything around him is pretty great. No, Charlie Crow's most terrible. Fucking Madonna's terrible. It, it's, a not, it's not a good movie. Yeah, it's got great set design. It looks nice. The the costume and the makeup effects are great. But right now, it's a shell of a film. It's awful. <laughs> um, I would uh, say, I think The Phantom's pretty fun as well. I, I get that, uh, like, kind of cheesy fun attachment to that movie i think true williams i agree he has that great line in that of uh, ha what a cheap jungle trick which is like such a funny stupid line delivery i think the fam's pretty fun in that regard um i agree with you on the shadow and then we'll- oh we've talked about the rocketeer before on the show yeah we we both really like that one and i don't know um what your opinions are of my movies necessarily i don't disagree with any of the ones you chose <sighs> i thought you would have an issue with maybe popeye though <laughs> I, no, I don't like Popeye. I, yeah. I don't like Popeye. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's kind of dog shit. <laughs> well, that, that might be a little bit strong term. I, I just it never clicked for me, man. I, I mean, I haven't seen it though, and I gotta say, at least twenty years. So maybe a rewatch, I might appreciate it more. But I remember not liking it a lot. That one I get more. Also, that's a very contentious choice. That's a very well, little bit of hated kind of movie. The stigma growing up, where it was such a huge, like, sort of critical failure. Right. So I always knew it was sucked without even seeing it. I thought it sucked. So I went in watching it when I first saw it, thinking it sucked. So if I were to come back to it with fresh eyes, maybe I'd appreciate it a little more. Uh, but Mike, do you have any thoughts on any of those? Would you second any of those recommendations or non-recommendations? Um, I think, um, well, regarding the last one you mentioned, Popeye, um, I saw it as a kid in the theater and I loved it as a kid. Uh, I, to be honest with you, I haven't revisited, but I do recall that um uh they that altman was really good about creating that world um and robin williams was really great at uh and and shelly duvall too were really great as like you couldn't find better cast for those two characters i think they particularly shelly duvall was born to, to play olive oil yeah exactly so um so yeah i would put that more on the plus side Rocketeer, I have a lot of love for. There's a lot of love for that movie, and that one's a, that one's right up there too. But uh, I'm a I'm a fan of any any endeavor that gets an indie project, uh, indie comic out there um, to to get more exposure. And you know sometimes the movies don't work as well as you'd like, 
Um, and I feel bad for those creators as well, but, you know, um, you know, hopefully that doesn't, I mean, it, it, it shouldn't tarnish the original material and, um, you know, anything that draws more attention to the original material and gives these guys like more eyes on their books, I'm all for. So that's not to say that, you know, anybody wants to make a movie about like Tiki Zombie or any of my characters, they should go out and make a bad one. Cause I don't, I don't, I'm not up for that. Or if you do make a bad one, pay them a lot of money. Yeah, well, you know, if we're working at a deal where Edward Furlong is going to star as the main <laughs> character, then we've got a problem right there. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to take a lot of money. Let's put it that way. I'll, you're going to have to back up that money truck to my house, like big time. It's going to have to be like, you know, uh, 18 wheeler. It's going to have to be big. Very true. Very true. Uh, but uh, that is, uh, we're getting to the end here of the show, so we'll go ahead and start doing uh, our wrap-up. Uh, we want to thank some people, like uh, Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. And uh, thanks also, we should mention another new thing about this episode. We're debuting our new artwork, uh, which uh, was from uh, Christian Thor Lally, is the artist. Um, he is at night of water that's knight like knight of armor k-n-i-g-h-t uh underscore of underscore water uh for more of his great stuff and uh yeah we're big fans of the art we really dig how it looks absolutely i love it yeah and um you can also we also want to thank of course our patrons which we should mention this is not just uh, the third anniversary of the show in general but the first year anniversary of the patreon so we want to thank our edgelords because uh, without your contributions, we wouldn't have been able to pay for that artwork commission. And also, just yesterday, I paid for uh, the hosting for the show over on Podbean with uh, your dollars. So you're keeping the show active, and we really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. And, of course, we also want to thank our guest, Mike Gordon. Mike, we'd love to have you on. Go ahead and uh, plug yourself a bit. Where can people find you? Well, I appreciate the invite. And, you know, despite the fact that, <laughs> that uh, you know, the crow was on the on the menu. Um, uh, but wait, talk about eating crow, really. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, it was great to talk to you guys with it uh, about it. And uh, I, I this is a lot of fun. So thank you for that. Uh, you can find me uh, talking about all sorts of things, movies and otherwise, uh, every week on the Earth Station One podcast. That's uh, uh, esopodcast.com or earthstation1.com, um, part of the ESO network, esonetwork.com, of course. And if you want to find out about my books, my comics, uh, my other projects that I'm working on, you can just go to newlegendmike.com. Yes, and for uh, more of us, you can find us over on Twitter and Facebook as at DEDBpod. And uh, you can submit, you know, any kind of feedback you have, especially about, like, the new segment or anything else we're doing with the show, or your own submissions for Double Bills that you would recommend for the topic, over at uh, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And, uh, you know, along with uh, our new logo will soon be coming to the uh, ESOT Public Store, where you can buy uh, merchandise with our logo or any of the other great shows like Earth Station One. You can buy, you know, merchandise of any sort, like some uh, coffee cups or a mask or a shirt with the logo on it um, over there. And, uh, you know, that helps us because it gets a kickback for not just uh, our show, but any other shows you buy merch for. It helps out. Yeah, so buy our merch. Buy our merch. Damn it, Thomas. Music to my ears. Hopefully another three years of you saying that every episode. <laughs> That's what I want. 
Uh, but for uh, more of my own individual stuff, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd as at NotTheWho'sTommy. I also do uh, writing at MarianiThomas.wordpress.com and Film-Cred.com. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Atom or Adam. That's A-T-O-M underscore O-R underscore A-D-A-M. I don't do a lot on there. Pictures of my dogs, pictures of my kids. Uh, I'll share if uh, you share as well, uh, just help us get more visibility. And uh, that's about it. I'm also on uh, Letterboxd at Schwanson. It's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S-O-N. I haven't played for the uh, pro account, so I haven't uh, synced it up because, you know what? I'm broke. I'm broke, son. Yes, and uh, for more of our thoughts, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on the ESO network, why not listen to all the other great shows on the network, like Third Station One and all the other great ones? And uh, you can also dig into our archives on the Podbean uh, main feed for all the episodes we did even before we joined ESO. And nothing else if you can't buy our merch or support us via the Patreon. It would really help and be completely free to do so if you were just to rate, review, or share the show around, because that gets us more visibility out there. It's literally the easiest thing in the world to do. I mean, it, it's easy. It, 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 I mean, why are we asking for this every week? Just just, just do it. Sponsored by Bo Jackson. Just do it. And uh, now it's time to do our picking, Adam. And there's a new feature as well. This is the last big new feature we have implemented, uh, where, um, you know, we usually do at the end here a thing where you have uh, two good movies this week i had two bad movies and uh, whenever you know something isn't say maybe chosen by our patrons which we'll get into with our next episode for a second uh we end up picking you know a good and a bad feature every week but we've instilled a new rule that we've dubbed the godfather rule in honor of don vito corleone where um each of us uh for the next year has what well, a veto where they can um, hear one choice that is picked and decide, okay, I want to veto that particular choice that has been picked. That veto will expire for our next, our fourth year anniversary, and it can only be used uh, after hearing the first choice that's initially picked. Um, so whatever Adam has, like, oh, hey, I'm going to have, this is my bad choice that you end up picking with your number, Thomas. Do you want to veto it? And I would simply say the magic words to be able to veto that, which is, actually, I'll take the cannoli. Yes. Right. And you also have that as well. So from starting here till next May, we each have one of those vetoes we can only use once for that. So it'll be interesting. That's different little context for us. And uh, for I mentioned I had the bad picks, but admittingly our patrons chose that. Uh, That is non-vetoable. I think we can definitely say (laughs) based on the patrons choosing a choice, uh, they won't be vetoable. Um, and, uh, that choice, which they picked for our next episode about DreamWorks animation, they ended up picking between my two bad choices of, uh, Shrek the third and, but ultimately one, which was Shark Tale, the Will Smith fish movie. So that's definitely what we'll be covering next week as part of the double feature. But Adam, you have your two good choices. Yes, I do. And you've assigned them between one and 10 for them. So, um, we're going to go ahead and have our guest Mike. Pick that number for Adam's good choice. Mike, a number between 1 and 10, please, for his choice. 7. Okay, at number 8, I have uh, the Will Ferrell, Brad Pitt, uh, Megamind. Oh, an underrated one, I, I would definitely yes. say, and also superhero adjacent. So it's a uh, works perfectly uh, for, uh, yeah, that's a good transition point. Um, I'm not going to veto that, so what was your alternative okay. choice, Adam? How to Train Your Dragon 
Yeah. I think the How to Train Your Dragon franchise is probably the strongest of the one from DreamWorks. Yeah. Good call. Good call. All right. Well, that is the end of our show, ladies and gentlemen. And on that note, it's time for us to put on our Sharpie applied makeup and go to Ravenfest. Are we all ready? Do we all have that Sharpie makeup on? <laughs> oh. I've got the deviled eggs. Yeah. yeah. Let's do this. <laughs> Don't watch the crow wicked prayer. (laughs) Good night. Good night. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.